right. Well, good evening, everybody. It is uh, it's great to be together. And uh, as Phil said, I want to welcome the uh, brothers and sisters from Long Island. I see some very familiar faces, uh, some that have uh, served at our youth camps throughout the years. And um, it's uh, it's always exciting to uh, to get to to see one another, especially uh, with just all that we've we've, we've been through. And um, you know, it, it's unbelievable how uh, you know it's been two years uh, in in some ways. Even seeing brothers and sisters here in New Jersey, and uh, and you know. And so it's great for us to be able to get together tonight in this way. Um, you know, I think we should try to make this uh, somewhat of a habit from time to time is uh, having this kind of fellowship. But, um, you know, tonight I, I'd like to, to talk for a little bit about transitions. And, um, you know, transitions, are, are, are a part of life. Everything that grows changes. And you can't grow and not change. And everything that changes goes through stages of transition. So whether we're talking about academics, marriage, athletics, maturity, Growth means change. And uh, as you move from one stage to the next stage, there are transitions in between those stages. You know, some of us remember the transition from middle school to high school. You know, middle school, you had all your friends in place. You know, you had your, your structure where, you know, you knew all of the classes that you um, were attending, you know where to go into the school. And then you go to high school and everything is different. And now you're going in and out of buildings and you're trying to figure it out. And you know, eventually it's gonna be okay, but getting from where you were to where you needed to be was challenging. You know, all of us who, are married, remember going from singlehood to married, marriedhood. You know, I was excited about marrying Sari, um, but getting married was honestly intense since I proposed to her and set a date for four months later. Uh, that created a lot of tension <laughs> and pressure. And uh, I love being married, but, but getting married was a transition. You know, some of us, we, we work for somebody and, and then we transition to working for ourselves and we, you know, created our, our own business and, and there's a transition in that. You know, some of us, uh, you know, got married, we had kids and then we went from one kid to two kids to three kids. I mean, and we have evolved in this transition of being outnumbered. You know, some of us have become aunties and uncles or godmothers and godfathers. 
and and through that there came responsibilities that you know we weren't really aware of there's a transition you know sometimes we hear news from the doctors and we understand that wow we got some ailments that may not change in fact they may get worse with time and that creates some transition or you know getting news from one of your children that just rocks your world and changes your life and now you're in transition you know there's two things about transition that i i, I want to talk about tonight and again if you're from new jersey i want to give you some homework ahead of time because next week we're going to do part two of this discussion um and i want to encourage you to read genesis 37 through 50 because it's gonna kind of dovetail together with what we talk about tonight but two things about transition number one there's always stress involved in transition there's always an element of stress an element of of pain or unpredictability in transition the other thing about transition is that unfortunately it can be forced on you. You're not looking for it. You didn't choose it, but you wake up one day and life just simply looks different. The future has now been rearranged. And most transitions that we go through, we don't get to choose. They're forced to us, on us. Your daughter comes home and says, I'm moving across the country. In fact, I'm going to move in with some friends in a bungalow somewhere in <laughs> Tijuana. That was not your vision of the future. And there's an element of transition there. You know, your child has been a disciple for seven, several years and decides, you know what, I don't want to be a disciple anymore. That creates transition. Your spouse decides they don't want to be married anymore. Your company's downsizing and you're caught in that downsize and you'll be out of work in the near future. Yet you have a mortgage to pay. You, you lose a loved one. And the doctor says, oh yeah, they got at least four more months but it happens unexpectedly and you find yourself in a transition that you didn't choose and that you weren't expecting. And you know, eventually life settles down and we get back to a quote unquote normal. But I, again, I have to say transitions aren't Asked for, they're uncomfortable, they're stressful, they're painful. They they put you in a sense of of panic of, okay, what's going to happen? What, how are we going to do this? And uh, you go from this very predictable life to things being unpredictable and unfamiliar. 
You know, sometimes as disciples, we can look at God and say, what is, what's going on? Why, Lord, you're not answering my prayers. You, you, you're not helping me through this situation. In fact, the wheels are coming off and I need you to do something now. Well, you know, here's the good news. If you and I are going through any type of transition that I've mentioned or I have not mentioned, I want to remind you and I of one thing. God is in the middle of your transition. In fact, one thing that the Bible teaches us is that God can sometimes do his greatest work and his deepest work in the transitions of our lives. Because there's something about our attention being caught and 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 that he's got our attention that we're we're listening we're teachable we're 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 aware because we're in this situation of uh not uncertainty but it's it, it it's it's not comfortable we we see our need for god more and through it he's able to work and do things in us that he wouldn't normally be able to do if everything was nice and comfortable. I wanna ask you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And I wanna look at three examples of people who've gone through transition. And again, look at how God works because sometimes I think we can forget how God works or that he is in the transitions. Genesis chapter 12, verse one. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Abraham was called to move. He was called to leave what was familiar. In fact, God's saying, you're never going back there because I have plans for you. And I'm not gonna tell you what those plans are or what it's gonna be like, but I want you to trust me. And eventually it's gonna settle down. But what we gotta continue to see is God was in the midst of this transition. God was with Abraham every step of the way. Turn to Genesis 37, verse 23. This is the story of Joseph. So Joseph came to his brothers, and you guys are familiar with this story. I'm just going to jump in here at this part. They stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver 
to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Joseph is obeying his dad, going to give a message to his brothers. His brothers, because of jealousy, and it wasn't necessarily on his part, but his dad seemed to show him favor more than them. Well, they decide they're going to kill him. And then somebody said, nah, let's not kill him. How about we just sell him? And they sell their brother into slavery. And so he finds himself in Egypt. And then he's sold to uh, Potiphar and becomes a slave in Potiphar's home. And as the story goes on, it, he's accused of rape. He's accused uh, and, and then put into the dungeon. And in the dungeon, he does some good to the chief cupbearer and tells him, hey, don't forget me. And then he forgets him for two years. But see, Joseph finds himself in a span of 10 years of transition. And the Bible says, and the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, we are going through some things that are very difficult and challenging, and we can think that the Lord's not with us as we go through these transitions. But the fact is, is that he's right there with us as we go through these challenging times. Turn to 1 Samuel 16. I got two more illustrations. Two more illustrations. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. And this is about David. So, Saul, so Samuel took the horn, 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And we know from that story, David is being anointed as the next king to, to succeed Saul. If you go to 1 Samuel 24, okay, so he has that experience and he knows God's going to do this. 1 Samuel 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. I think that is so amazing that Saul picked the exact cave that David was in with his men. But again, the Lord's working here. Verse four, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. David has been anointed as king, finds himself hiding in a cave. And we know eventually he would be in the palace, but because of his trust in God, he didn't take matters into his own hands when his guys were interpreting from the situation. Look at what God did. Now strike him dead. But because David saw God in the middle of his transition, he didn't end up sinning. He said, this is the Lord's anointed. And you know what? God put him in. God will take him out. Last example, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the son, and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give you uh, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, I love Mary's attitude. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. You know, when I think about transition, one day God shows up into the life of a teenage girl and says, you know what? You're going to have a baby. And his name is going to be Emmanuel. But uh, sweetie, your life is not going to be what you thought it would be. For the next 8 to 12 months, you will face major difficulty major embarrassment, rejection, gossip, fear, and loneliness. But I, I'm going to be with you. 
transition is a part of life. And see what your Bible says and what my Bible says is that God does some of his greatest and most significant work in times of transition. He can do things in our lives and in his kingdom and in history during the times of transition that he cannot do any other time or in any other way. So I have some great news for us tonight. If you're in transition, God is in the middle. He is in the middle of it. I don't know if he caused it. I don't know if he allowed it. But he is in the middle of it. And he wants you and I to understand a couple of things. Number one, God wants to work in us so that he can work through us. Let me say that again. God wants to work in us so that he can work through us. You know, we as a church are in a transition individually and collectively. When I think about the pandemic and how it's literally changed our world, it's touched every area of our lives. And in the midst of all of that, we're facing political issues. We're facing racial issues. We're facing social issues like never before. We've experienced loss of life, loss of employment, loss of relationship, loss of income, and even loss of fellowship. You see, church, this is a perfect time for us as a church to experience growth because God does some of his finest work during times like these. You know, in the examples of Abraham, Joseph, David, and Mary, God was in the middle of those transitions and he is in the middle of our personal transitions and our collective transitions. But here's something that we have to understand. You don't know that God is really all you need until he is all that you have. You don't know that God is really all you need until he is all that you have. You know, the second thing I wanna encourage us with is that the transition is also not just about you and it's not just about me. If you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, this is one of those scriptures that just, it, it rocks your world when you think about it. I know it rocks my world. 
because it's saying something really, really important. And if you and I believe what God says, it can make all the difference in how we deal with life. Romans 8, 28, and I know we're all familiar with this scripture. And it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Now, when you consider Abraham, God didn't move him from where he was to where he needed to be just to teach him some things about God. God had chosen him for a much bigger plan. He says, you're going to be the guy that I bring forth my nation. God didn't move Joseph from where he was to Egypt to help Joseph develop his character and faith. There was a bigger plan. There was something kingdom-wide going on that Joseph went there and experienced that transition in that time, and God took him through things to raise him up for a specific reason that was bigger than him. God didn't interrupt Mary's life and say, I'm going to allow you to be the mother of my son just so you can grow closer to me. Nope. There was a bigger plan. And see, brothers and sisters, whatever you and I are going through, God has that same mentality that he wants to work through us because there's something bigger that sometimes we don't even understand. And we can't even see it. And so whatever transition he's taking you through individually or collectively, he has something more in mind than just us. That's how he works. He has a purpose that he wants to be fulfilled. You know, Phil had shared earlier in the announcements about us here in New Jersey and, you know, some of us having not contributed to special contribution. And, you know, at first I heard, I'm like, wow, that is not like us here in Jersey. And, um, you know, but at the same time, I thought, you know, we've been kind of separate. We've been a little disconnected. And I think Satan has has, has it influenced our, our thinking, our, our attitudes in, in a way 
that we've lost sight of the big picture of what we're a part of. And I think it's so appropriate that the Kofis are coming on Sundays and we're going to get a chance to see, wow, here's part of what we're, what we're about. And, and here's how our giving is making a difference. See, we, we are givers in Jersey. We're generous. We're servants. We're known for our hospitality. And I know that we're facing challenges and some of us have lost jobs. But to have that many not contribute anything was really baffling. And I pray that not only would we reconsider, we would, we would remember our why. Why do we do what we do? Why do we give? Why do we serve? And also not lose sight and forget the enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. But see, you know what? I don't think Satan, sometimes he's roaring, but he's not trying to intimidate us. I think he's telling us some lies. And sometimes we're believing the lies. And um, I think it's important that we really deepen our relationships and continue to create that openness so that we can get back to finding strength in God from one another so that we're not deceived by sin's deceitfulness. Because it's very easy to be wrapped up and caught up and lose sight of the big picture. All right. So Romans 28, 828, seeing God in the transition. See, there's a catch to all of this. Because if I don't see God in the transition, then I'm not going to respond in a correct way. For God to do what he wants in us and through us, we must respond correctly like Abraham did, like Joseph did, like Mary did, like David did. The proper response and transitions for God to do what he wants in us and through us is that we have to see God in the transition. And to realize, oh man, not something's not just happening to me. And all the, although things happen to me, but we've got to see God in this. And it's not easy. But brothers and sisters, look at what the Bible says. Paul, who's writing this letter from jail, he says, we know that in all things, not all good things, good or bad things, that all things God works for the good of those who love him. He is in it. What is God doing in the midst of our transition? Again, I'm not sure. But here's what I am sure of. He is at work. Whether we see it or we don't, he is always working. I'm sure David, during, uh, Joseph, during those times when he was in prison, did not see God working. 
but he was. I'm sure at times when Mary was going through the embarrassment of being pregnant and trying to explain the Holy Spirit came on top on, on, on uh, uh, over me and, and that's how I got pregnant. I'm sure she didn't see God working. In fact, she goes to Egypt to try to save her son. In a similar way, we many times, we don't see God working when we're in the midst of the struggles and the challenges of the day-to-day -day activities. But I wanna remind us that he is always at work. God is working in all things. But I, love, I, want, I want to kind of close us out here in this passage because what's super encouraging about this passage is that it says he works for the good of those who love him. That's us. But then it says who have been called according to his purpose. See, not only is God working on our behalf, he's also working on his behalf. Because again, he wants to accomplish something through us. And so tonight, my prayer is that we can see God in the transitions. And like I said, next week, we're going to have a follow-up lesson. And we're going to dig a little deeper and look at the story of Joseph. But uh, let's close out this time with a prayer. And um, again, thank you, Long Island, Strong Island, for joining us tonight. And um, let's see God in the transition. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the transitions in life. Father, I know it's not easy, it's not comfortable, it's oftentimes painful and, and, and causes us to cling to you and look to you. Father, help us to see you in the midst of transitions, whether it's in our marriages, with our families, in the church. God, I know when we start meeting together, the church is going to look different, but help us Help us to see that you are still at work in us and you want to work through us. Help us as we're in our neighborhoods and in our, uh, our, at our jobs and with our families. Help us see that you are working. Help us to never give up praying for one another. Never give up praying for our families. Never give up praying uh, about just knowing you better, but that you help us to see you in transitions, the way that Joseph did, the way that Abraham did, the way that David did, and the way that Mary did, that we would respond faithfully because we see you. Continue to strengthen us, Lord. And more than anything, God, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can continue to put our trust in you, not ourselves or any system or anybody else. We love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in the Son Jesus' name. Amen.